a very warm welcome to episode 46 of the Baltic Triangle podcast, where we hear from the real movers and shakers in the Liverpool City region. I'm Mark Reeson. And I'm Mick Ord. And uh, summer has now gone. It's official. It's going to rain for the next nine months, isn't it? It does appear that way. Um, we've actually put our central heating back on for the first time in a in a long, long time. So, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's just a bit damp, you know, a bit sort of damp. So you've got it on all day, are you? No, God, no. So when have you got it on? Just we put it on for an hour yesterday, just to kind of take the edge off it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. That's allowed. Anyway, a big thank you to Baltic Creative CIC, which supports the digital and creative sector in the Baltic Triangle business area, and they're also our partners. So thank you very much to them. And if you want to find out a little bit more about the work of Baltic Creative, check out their website. It's baltic-creative.com. Well, Mick, we don't always have a theme to our podcast, but there's certainly one to this episode. It's health, well-being and fitness, isn't it, Mick? Physical and mental especially. Sure is, buddy. Two businesses with fascinating insights into well-being in both of its manifestations. I've been chatting to Nicola Chan, who moved to Liverpool from London two and a half years ago and has set up Weishi Coaching, which is all about body confidence and mental well-being. She's got a really interesting personal story and some great insights into body confidence, fitness and why she believes that what's happening inside your head is the key to physical and mental fitness. So I've been in Liverpool for two and a half years. I first came here because I was with my ex and we came up here to be together. We were going to get married. We were moving here to be near his family. And then six months later, we broke up. But it was quite apparent as soon as we moved here that I literally loved Liverpool. I felt like my feet were grounded on this earth and I was meant to be here and he didn't feel at home. So after the six months, he went back to London and my daughter was in school here already, so we were settled. And I just really found my home here and all the people that I've met have been really welcoming. I've felt accepted. I've joined loads of groups like networking groups. I joined Kung Fu and they've become my family. So I've just met so many amazing people and I feel like Liverpool's the place to be. You can be creative, you can express yourself and it really fits in with the ethos of me and my company. More from Nicola in a few minutes. Well, I've been speaking to Anthony Grice, a Toxtiff born scouser whose coffee shops, Fika, are certainly making waves in Liverpool and not just for their coffee and cakes. Fika's a Swedish concept, which means coffee break, but it's as much about mental well-being as relaxation. We end up getting lads coming down from Andy Man's group, um, Andy Man's club, and they, with lads who it's a similar sort of men's mental health thing, they come down, they join in with us. So we have a WhatsApp group now with like, there's over a hundred men on it. And, and it's constantly pinging, you know, people are just, because you don't have people to talk to, but they're creating little groups. Let's go and have a game of football in the park. Let's have a game of cricket. Let's go for bowling. And you know people's stories and it's great. You've actually visited one of Anthony's uh, coffee shops, haven't you, Mark? What was it like? I certainly have, Mick. Yeah, I've been down to the Walton Road shop loads. Uh, it, it's an amazing place. But as, as you'll hear in the story, Mick, it's much more about him being the centre of that community. And, and he's just doing some fantastic work across the whole region. Well, we'll hear from Anthony shortly. Nicola Chan's story is not one you hear every day. Her company's Weishi Coaching, and she describes herself as a mind and body confidence coach. She runs body confidence courses for groups and individuals and is particularly keen on working with companies and organisations to improve the lot of their workforce. Nicola's own personal story has been very traumatic at times, as you'll hear. 
but she's using her own journey to help others, particularly women, overcome their anxieties about their bodies and become happier all round. I've been in the fitness industry for 16 years, so I've always been into body coaching, but through my own journey and my experience in the fitness industry, that although there's so many amazing positive benefits to fitness, I had a negative experience where I ended up with an eating disorder, body dysmorphia, and I really struggled with obsession with exercise. And so it was through my journey overcoming those things, basically brainwashing myself to the opposite that I was feeling from body negative to body positive that brought me into this journey where now I help other people do the same. You said body dysmorphia, what's that? So body dysmorphia is where you have an, a morphed view of what your body looks like. So it could be the size of your body, it could be the shape of your body, but it could even be your eyes or your face or your skin. And people who suffer with body dysmorphia, it's like OCD, it's debilitating. It could stop you from leaving the house and it's ob obsession. You can't stop thinking about it. So just talk us through what the results of that, um, of the body dysmorphia had on you. You know, you, I know you used to binge eat a lot and then go through frantic exercises as well. So yeah. um, just talk us through some of that, if you would. Yeah, so with the body dysmorphia, I never saw myself how other people saw me. And as a fitness instructor in the front of the class, people would applaud my body image. They would ask me, what are you doing? How, you know, what exercise do you do? How do you eat? We want to do what you do. And I enjoyed that validation because I had such low self-esteem. And so I wanted more of it. So my body was never enough. I then wanted to be thinner. I then wanted to be stronger. I then wanted to be fitter. And the line of perfection kept moving. So at some point I did bodybuilding because I felt like that was the next thing to do in the industry. It would get me more clients. I'll get more validation. And I thought that body, that picture that you see on health and fitness magazine was a healthy fit body. And that should be desirable for everyone in the fitness industry. And actually to achieve that body, I went on a severe diet. I suffered with a lot of mental health issues. I was binge eating, as you said. I was obsessed about exercise. I wasn't sleeping properly. I lost my periods. So when I achieved that look, although I won first place bikini winner, I was unhealthy. So that picture that you see on health and fitness magazines isn't always healthy for everyone. And uh, people who haven't been on a journey like that will be surprised because they would see you in the front of the class looking tremendously fit and all that, and they would think... That's the kind of person I want to look like. And they'd be surprised to know that inside was probably a very unhappy person. Yeah, extremely unhappy. And because you're putting out this front, it's like you have to then maintain it. So even if you do fit the beauty standards of the world and you're happy in that moment, if that's all that there is about you, it's then the pressure of maintaining that forevermore. And actually, the beauty standards change every 10 years. So when I first got into fitness, it was a very different body to what it is now. And it depends on you know, the latest fitness craze or the, the latest celebrity and what's happening in the world to how the female body is always being projected that you should look a certain way. And were you looking at other um, female bodybuilders or models and saying, well, if I could just look like her, then I'd be happy? Yeah, 100%. Even before I did bodybuilding, I always looked at um, celebrities like Neil McAndrew and I thought she looked amazing. I'd love to look like her. I want to be lean and toned. And I used to put pictures of them like on my fridge as if that would help me to stop eating, as if stopping eating would give me that body. 
However, we all have different genetics. And if you, even if you do the exact same exercise and eat the exact same food as someone else, you may or may not get their body depending on your genetics. So what's the ethos behind Weishi Coaching then? So Weishi Coaching is just the name that I've chosen for my business. It's about mindset coaching. And within that is the body confidence work that I do. So Weishi is actually my middle name. It means like poetry. It's my Chinese family name. And all of that has actually become part of my journey because when I was married, I had a different name. Coming back to me and my original name has been part of this process of being my true authentic self. So naming my business my name has been quite nice for me. And why Liverpool? Why are you here? Because you're clearly not from Liverpool. You're from London, aren't you? Yeah, you can tell by the accent. <laughs> so I've been in Liverpool for two and a half years. I first came here because I was with my ex and we came up here to be together. We were going to get married. We were moving here to be near his family. And then six months later, we broke up. But it was quite apparent as soon as we moved here that I literally loved Liverpool. I felt like my feet were grounded on this earth and I was meant to be here and he didn't feel at home. So after the six months, he went back to London and my daughter was in school here already. So we were settled and I just really found my home here. And all the people that I've met have been really welcoming. I felt accepted. I've joined loads of groups, like networking groups. I joined Kung Fu and they've become my family. So I've just met so many amazing people and I feel like... Liverpool's the place to be. You can be creative, you can express yourself, and it really fits in with the ethos of me and my company. You've been through a lot personally since you were a teenager, and you've talked very publicly about how you were raped at the age of 14, how you came out as bisexual a few years ago. Why do you think it's important to get that stuff out in the open? For me personally, and I know that everyone's journey is different, and I don't think that anyone has to do the same thing, I did find it very cathartic being able to speak about my experiences. I feel like with sexual trauma in particular, there is a lot of shame and guilt which the victims carry. And in some way, speaking about it helps you to release that shame because ultimately it's not your shame. Somebody else did that to you, however old you were, somebody abused that situation. And to be able to empower yourself by talking about it or whatever it is that you do with it, a lot of people create businesses, become coaches, want to help other people. That is a way of empowering yourself so you're not a victim anymore. Now, I've noticed, uh, I had a look at your website and I've noticed that a lot of your content is aimed towards women. Why is that? Well, to be honest, body confidence affects everybody. Uh, gender, sexuality, all the things that we're experiencing in the world as it is today affects everybody. But it just happened to be that most of my clients were women. The first charity that I um, collaborated with when I came to Liverpool was the Girls Network. So I had an opportunity to go into schools and do workshops for girls. So a lot of it is around women and girls, but obviously it is everybody. And what was it like going to... Um schools and talking to girls. I mean, I've got three daughters and they're all a little bit older now. They're in the 20s and 30s. But I remember at the time being, being concerned about some of the stuff that they'd see on, online or on TV. So what was it like for you going into schools and talking to girls? Well, I really enjoyed it. And I feel like this is where I'm meant to be. I was that girl at school once and I wish I knew what I know now. But you can only pass on the information and when you know better, you do better. And I feel like it's my journey. I'm telling them about my story. So it's nice to be able to relate to someone and then see where they've had help. Maybe you can get help too. And what are the things that young people, young girls now, um, we think we know what they feel, but quite often as parents, they won't tell us that stuff, but you're an outsider. They might 
kind of talk to you about. What are the big concerns among teenage girls now, would you say? To be honest, the girls that I've spoken to in school, the reason why they are with the Girls Network, they have been classed as vulnerable or they've got some issues going on already. So they're not the type of girls to speak up anyway. So in that moment when I'm doing a workshop, quite often they are just quiet and they are just taking in the information. But I do get some good feedback afterwards that it has affected them. They are suffering with these kind of things and that it has been helpful for them. Are they essentially the same kind of um, concerns that you and your teenage friends would have had or has it changed a bit over the past sort of 10 to 15 years well I think the biggest thing is social media and the way that we have images that aren't even real like filters and people take a million pictures and just show the perfect picture at the perfect angle with the perfect pose so we're comparing ourselves to someone that isn't even real and that's an issue that we have now which we didn't have before Right, okay. Now, you're still a very, I hope you don't mind me saying this, you're still a very athletic-looking person. You look physically fit and healthy. Are you at all concerned that people might come to your classes and thinking, and think just the kind of things that, that you thought when you were young? Oh, I'm never going to look like her. Um, I want to be like her. Is, is that a potential obstacle? Um, yes and no. I have had that experience and I have done body confidence talks and some people have said to me, but you look perfect. And I do explain to them that it's not actually about how I look. The journey that I was on when I was that bodybuilder and I did get the first place bikini winner and a crown and a sash and everything, I still didn't like myself. So it's not about how you are on the outside, it's about how you are on the inside. I still didn't love myself. It was actually an inside job of self-love. I had to do a lot of personal development and therapy to overcome that. But I have to explain that I have thin privilege. So I live in a body that is able to buy clothes wherever I go. The world is made for me. I can have one seat on the airplane. And I have to explain that because it is the fat acceptance movement that helped me with body positivity. I needed to learn about the history of fat, about classes. It's very political. There's a lot about it, actually, which really helped me to be able to accept myself as I am. I've never heard that phrase before, thin privilege. And yet when you stop and think about it, it means so much today, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about privilege. If you're privileged not to know, you are one of the people who are privileged. How difficult is it for you to get inside the heads of people who believe that they are fat? So I believe that I was fat even when I wasn't. So I think sometimes we have, like I had with body dysmorphia, a morphed view of how we look. But we also need to look in into what is fat and what shame do we have around fatness. As I said, I looked into the fat acceptance movement, the body positive community, and they taught me a lot about health at every size and how you can be healthy in a bigger body. Is it difficult for you to get inside the heads of people who believe that they're fat, though? Because presumably you've never been in their condition. Yeah, I do understand that, which is why I say I have thin privilege. I don't know how it feels to be in a bigger body. I don't know how it feels to be shamed for having that body. I can only listen to and be a voice for them as an ally, their experiences. I do have clients who are bigger and they do benefit from the things I'm teaching them about dieting. Sometimes diets can actually make you fatter. So when I tell them about the science of dieting and I help them to be comfortable in their body, sometimes they actually lose weight anyway. Now, you're keen to work with businesses, aren't you? How, how, how might that work? 
Well, body confidence affects everybody. As we said, it affects all different genders. It affects people of all ages. And if you're not confident in who you are, that's going to affect you in your family life. It's going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect you at work. So if you can be confident in who you are, you're more likely to put yourself up for promotion. You're more likely to speak up in meetings. So it has so many knock-on effects that are really positive to any business. And I feel like a lot of businesses these days are adding wellness to the, the whole ethos of the company and body confidence should be a part of that. So that might involve you turning up at a business and doing a workshop for the employees who are interested initially, might it? Or does it go beyond that? Yeah, I have a one-off workshop, which is a bit of an awareness piece. If people identify with some of the issues that I speak about in the workshops, most people who've been on a diet do, and that's generally most women, some men. Um, but I also have a 12-week body confidence course. So it takes people, like hand-holding week after week, through the process of finding peace within your body and food. And where are you based and how can people get in touch with you? So I'm based in Liverpool, but I do a lot of that work online as well. So I could have clients who are wider field than Liverpool, um, but they can contact me mostly. I hang out on Instagram. I am at body underscore confidence 22, but I'm also on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. You're also about to start a burlesque class in Liverpool, aren't you? Tell us a bit about that. Yes, so hopefully it's going to be in the arts bar on a Tuesday evening at six o'clock. And it's burlesque is all about empowering women. So that, that class is specifically for women. Um, it's for all shapes and sizes, all different bodies and different fitness levels. And it's just about your creation. That's the one thing that helped me on my journey was because I became a burlesque dancer. And where I'd previously been on the stage as a bodybuilder, it was like another way of being on stage, but I didn't do anything to edit my body. I just showed up as I am. And I was able to tell a story through my burlesque performance. Some people tell stories about trauma, depression, mental health, or you can do traditional burlesque. So there, there are no rules. You get to create something which is an expression of your personality, which helps to empower you. So if, if people want to find out about that, they just need to follow you on Instagram. Give us that uh, handle again, will you? So it's at body underscore confidence and the number's 22. And as if burlesque wasn't enough, you've also got a book coming out, hopefully, haven't you? Well, I've got a book that I've written and I'd like to find a literary agent or a publisher who would take me on and believe in me and my story. It's a personal development book and it basically is my journey, but it goes through 12 steps, a little bit like AA 12 steps that people are familiar with. And people go through a bit of an awakening and a journey that helps them to find body confidence and their true authentic self by the end of it. So you're not going to self-publish it, you're going for a publisher first, aren't you? I'm hoping to, yeah. What an incredible person, Mick. Again, we seem to unearth these, these diamonds across the whole of the region, don't we? And, uh, and she's certainly one of those, isn't she? Yeah. Um, in addition to burlesque and way she coaching, she's also a fire eater. She does fire eating as well. So not somebody to be messed with, I don't think, but she's, you know, uh, good luck to it. And if anybody wants to find out some more about what Nicola does as a, uh, as a body confidence coach, then her Instagram handle is at body underscore confidence and then the number 22. And Weishi Coaching, she's got a website as well. Weishi is spelt W-A-I-S-H-E-E. -E. On the related theme of mental and physical health, I've been chatting to Tox Stiffborn Scouser Anthony Grice, the founder of Fika Coffee Shops, one based at Liverpool Water Sports Centre on the Mariner's Wharf and the other one on Walton Road. It's a Swedish concept which is really taken off here on Merseyside thanks to Anthony and his team. The thing about Fika is it's not just an ordinary coffee shop. 
It's where you pop in and chat to complete strangers. It's not about work or networking. It's just about anything you fancy. I think one important thing to note here is there's no Wi-Fi, there's no social media, and it's designed for people of all ages to simply bring people together so they can talk to each other and switch off from the pressures of work and improve their mental well-being. Fika itself is a Swedish concept. Um, it's have a coffee, sit down, consume life, meet new friends. From my time in Sweden, um, being in the restaurants, I remember the first day when a lot of people come in and... You know, I was all these like a coach pulled up outside, and I'm thinking, what the heck's going on here? And the next thing is, um, just, oh, it's Fika, and I was like, what the hell's Fika? He said, watch what happens. And then these random people would come in, they grab a cinnamon bun, they grab a coffee, they'd sit down with a complete stranger, introduce themselves, and there's a unwritten rule where they're not allowed to talk about work. So they'll sit there, drink the coffee, and they'll just chat about life and switch off from work. No social media, just completely switch off. And, you know, then they go about the day. And then the next day, you're seeing the same faces coming into the shop. They're, you know, grabbing the coffee and the cinnamon bun, sitting down again. But this one with someone else. And they'll do the same thing. And then you're watching this over a couple of days. And by the end of the week, everyone is coming in, the same faces. They all know each other. And it's like the place have brought the whole community together. And I thought, wow, how, how powerful is this? This is like, as... As like you know, humanity itself, we we are as connected as we've ever been in our lives through social media. You know, we're so connected with people on the other side of the planet. But as you know, in general, we're not connected at all. As you know, we don't have face-to-face interaction anymore. It's all, all done through the the social network. So, Fika itself is to bring people together and you know meet new friends, especially older people as well. You know, we do free tea and toast mornings for OAPs because we realise, you know, a lot of old people don't have, you know, anyone, maybe no one to talk to or no friends and family. And that's why, you know, we do them Tuesdays and Thursdays between 10 and 11. It's, you know, come down. It doesn't cost me a lot to do some tea and toast for someone. And it might be a way of them to meet someone and they can, you know, they might have a friend there where they can go and do things away from the shop and go for walks in the park, etc. So it's all about bringing the people together. I think one thing that I've noticed about Fika and Walton Road is that it is just such an easy place to drop in and out of, and it's a really, it's a really eclectic place with with lots and lots of different people in any one given time. Talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you do within the community to sort of make people feel comfortable when they walk in the door. So with with the shop itself, uh, my idea behind the shop was to make it a, a community hub. Um, you know, we welcome everyone everyone into the shop. You know, no matter what colour, sex, gender, anything, everyone's welcome into the shop. Um, and the shop itself, there's always somewhere to someone to talk to. So we're not just. I used to call coffee shops anti-social hubs because you'd walk into a coffee shop. This is before I had one. You'd walk into a coffee shop and people would be sat down. Uh, well, let's go and meet for a coffee, and they both sit down, and two people will be on the phones constantly, and you know, both people will just be on the laptops and not even talking to each other, being together but having a conversation with someone on the other side of the world through the phone. So, the idea behind you know the shop itself is you know we don't have Wi-Fi. We like to pretend it's 1995, you know, when the people <laughs> didn't have Wi-Fi and people talked, and so you know, the doors always open in the shop, and you know we have the suspender coffee board. On the coffee boards, we've got a big sign in the window, and it's you don't have to have any money to come in here. There's free coffees, there's free foods as well on the coffee boards um, that people have donated. And, you know, it, 
the shops just open for everyone. You know, coffees have been bought in advance um, by anyone, and they leave a little slip behind the door, a little post-it note on the wall, and anyone who comes in, they just need to take a post-it note off the off the um, the board, bring it over to the cell, and there's no um, intimidation there. There's no um, embarrassment of coming over and thinking, can I have a free coffee? They don't have to say nothing. They just give the slip in and tell us what you want, and and that's that. And and then also we can identify as well if someone's you know going through a tough time and you know financially, mentally, or just having a really poor day. And then we can, you know, we go, oh, they're struggling there. You know, they've come in, we, we don't ask them questions, but we'll just sit down with them and we'll just talk. And just talking is so important, especially this day and age when people don't do it as much anymore because it's all done through the social network. So the shop's welcoming for, welcome to every, everyone. You know, every, everyone's welcome in here and we try to make it as comfortable as possible for everyone coming in as well. I know from my experience of, of what I've seen, of what you've been doing in within the community, how important mental health is to you and well-being. Talk to me a little bit about how you've found that you've made a difference and, and where that comes from inside you. So with the mental health and you know making a difference, you know I've I've come from an area toxic and I didn't have a lot growing up. You know we we didn't have a lot. You know we struggled um, as a family and you know. As, as most people in the area did, you know, we've come from very working class backgrounds, and we used to have a, um, a pub near us called the Bank House, and the Bank House was a big community hub, and you know, we, as I said, we we had nothing, but this pub, the guy used to own it called John C, he was he used to do a lot for the community, he used to give back a lot to the community, and you know, he used to do things like you know bonfire parties. Uh, Halloween parties, Christmas parties, summer parties, anything, any way you could put a party on, he'd do it. And it wouldn't be a party, it'd be like a, a more or less a free event where there was free food and free drinks. And this was just something he would do for the community out the goodness of his heart. And that's something that was like, you know, at that time when we didn't have a lot, that to us was so much. That was a big event because... We didn't. We wasn't able to go to Alton Towers and Camelot and days out, and we had nothing. We played on a football pitch with a football, but to us to have like the Christmas parties this weekend, that was a big event for us to go to, and you know we didn't need money to go to it. But yeah, that also you know people did invest. You know people realised that you know how much you give back to the community, and they would also support them as a business, um, which was amazing. And I think a lot of my a lot of giving back to the community that I do has come from you know from what I grew up with and what I what I grew up around, um, and that's why um, you know I give back to the community as much as I can. Uh, during lockdown, that was when obviously you're watching people go into isolation for the first time. I remember the first week that people when we locked down. I remember seeing a photograph that went round. Um, went viral. It was an old OAP walking down a, a supermarket aisle, and they, they had a, a shopping trolley and had like two tins of beans in. And it was a young couple walking past, and they had all kinds of toilet rolls upon toilet rolls, if you can remember all that. And they had looked, looked and I realised, you know what, these old people have, are struggling. There's people out there who are locking down because they're terrified and they've got nothing. So I reached out and said, look, if anyone's got any bits, drop them into the shop. And we'll identify these people who, uh, you know, may need help. And so everyone started bringing food in. People donate money. 
obviously people are struggling to buy things in supermarkets. They're saying, look, we can't get nothing but this, some money, some money, because, you know, I've got um, a trader's license in, in, in retail. I was able to get access to the wholesalers before anyone else and, you know, at the same time as shopkeepers could. So we were able to get all this, these products and create these care packages uh, for the community. I went on local radio station and I reached out to them and I said, look, if anyone's struggling, get in touch with me. Here's my phone number, here's my shop, let me know. And as soon as I was on that radio station, my, my phone lit up. It just absolutely exploded and everyone was screaming out for help. And, you know, if, you know, through the power of, of you know, the, the social network that I've got through the shop on, on social media, I was having people contact me from places like Canada and Australia who follow us on social media. And they said, look, we live, I live, I live in Canada now. My mum lives by herself. She's got no social media. She, you know, she's got no one. She's, can you please help her out? I know she's going to be, we're not going to get out of the house. So we were able to, you know, help go, go and help this lady, knock at her house randomly and said, this is for you, this is for your daughter. She's contacted me and they couldn't believe that. So, and we continued that as long as we could. Uh, and so that was until the government started helping out a lot, a lot more people. But we still looked after these, you know, for, for probably the best part of nine months. Uh, we continued this right the way through. Um, because people were struggling out there, um, obviously through the pandemic, it was it was a crazy time for everyone. So that was a you know a reason for me giving back because you know I've come from somewhere where we've had nothing, and you know it's nice to be helped and it's nice to help people because it's not nice struggling when you've got no food. I remember that you did um, the care packages for kids as well that were struggling without having the school meals available to them during the holidays. Talk to me a little bit about that. So with the school meals, I remember uh, seeing something on the internet about uh, a care package that the government had created. When I think we'd gone into lockdown, I think it was lockdown 3.0. I can't remember how many lockdowns we actually done. There was that many. Um, this is the one in the January and there was a government care package and this was for schools who, obviously the schools were closed and it was people who, you know, wouldn't get a meal and you know kids kids were going without a meal because you know children going to school that could be the only meal they can get a day and the government said we're going to provide packages for kids who are struggling and the package i seen was just it was disgraceful i could not believe what the government you know had was sending out to people it was it was a total insult so again i reached out and said look let's i'm going to make some care packages we'll do the same again and I would say in the January, for that one alone, in that one month, we delivered more packages in that one month alone than what we did in the previous nine. It was just off the scale. But the tough part about that was, it was um, obviously you were dealing with a lot of families. Plus also there was people who, especially in, you know, um, you know, leisure and tourism and people who were like in the music business and entertainment world who've, self-employed have been out of work for a long time and they were ones who were struggling you know people who sing in pubs of a weekend they had no income this is where you know the problem was that you know they couldn't claim anything because of you know any financial help so we were able to reach out to them but some of the stuff obviously that i, I had to deal with but that was mentally draining uh, especially um you know I, you know, I just said to people look if you need help just contact me i'm not going to ask you any questions i'm not going to vet you you know and and that's the thing with, I think I was so approachable because of that, uh, because I wasn't asking any questions and, you know, I could speak to people, at, you know, a normal, you know, com with common sense 
I don't make people jump through loopholes. It was just, I'll help you if it can help you. Some of the stuff wasn't nice that I would, you know, the depths that people were going to think and, you know, I'd help them by sending me photographs of, you know, they, they, you know, they may have, the children have been beaten up, they've been beaten up by the, per, you know, the, by the partners or the, a squat that they were living in and I didn't need to see that. That was quite tough, extremely tough mentally to deal with because I'm not been brought up, you know, to deal with that stuff. So that was extremely challenging for me. But, um, you know, we helped out as many people as we could um, during that period. Um, and it was, um, I'd, I'd do it again, if, you know, if, if needs be, I would do it again. But it was extremely, extremely tough. I think with any situation like that, the amount of time you expose yourself to other people's problems and to try and create solutions for them, that it does come with a cost. And I think it, it had a, an impact on your life, didn't it? It did, yeah. It had, um, I said, it was a massive impact on my life, and that was something that, you know, it never really come out until a few months later, where, you know, I I was struggling, and, you know, and obviously from from what I've been saying, you know, I, I am a busy person, and I like to I like to be busy, and I like to keep myself busy, but it's, it takes a toll, and it takes a lot out of you, and eventually, you know, you wake yourself into the ground, and I'd always heard that, you know, you you're gonna send yourself to the early grave, you need to slow down, and. I couldn't, it's it's just in me to keep going and keep going and eventually, you know, I broke and I was um, I remember having chest pains and going dizzy and I remember going to hospital and when I was in the hospital, you know, we'd done some tests and the, the, spoke to the, the doctors and they would ask me what's going on, what's going on in your life and it was, I told them everything and they said, look, you're having a breakdown here, you, you've just, you've, you've run yourself to the ground and when you're having a breakdown, your body gives out in different ways. Some people, you know, some people's hair can fall out. Some people come out in a rash. People's body screams out in different ways when they can't handle anymore. And obviously I was about to have the ultimate, you know, the ultimate give out and, you know, keel over. And, you know, so I was able to, you know, once I come out of hospital, it was like, I'm going to have to look after myself here and slow down and, but when that happened, this was on the verge when we were opening our second shop. So obviously, I could not, I couldn't slow down. It, it was just nothing I had to, I couldn't do it. But then, it was where all the, okay. If I need to slow down, I'm gonna need help. I'm gonna need people to help me. Where all these people now that I've helped out, you know. So we've done, we delivered over three thousand packages. I've got thousands of friends, um, or people who know you on social media. Where are all these people coming for me now? Where's me, you know, my brother, my auntie, my uncle, my dad? Where are all these people coming to help me when I need them the most? And no one was there. And that's what I couldn't deal with. I couldn't deal with. I felt so alone. I felt no one was there for me. And that was that was the toughest two weeks of my life to get through. That was where I didn't care about anything anymore. I remember, you know, walking down the docks and I'm looking over the Mersey and, you know, and then you start getting horrible thoughts and you think, you know, does anyone really care about me anymore? And, and I've got a wife and two kids and, which you know, that's obviously, that's what pulls you back from, from doing something stupid. And it's, it's hard because there's a lot of people out there who don't have that lifeline there at the back of your mind. And, you know, people who don't talk about the problems as well. Um, I ended up speaking to a psychologist with my wife and, uh, you know, they were able to help me 
and go and address all my problems and little problems that I had with, with people that I was able to go and empty out and I was able to release and spoken about, speaking about it. You know, I had conversations with people, family members, spoke to people close to me that I've never spoke to and I've said to them, look, what I'm going to say now, you're not going to like it, but I will need to get this out there. And I emptied out and I released everything. And I remember I felt cleansed once I'd done all this. I'd gone round, spent the whole day going round everyone, and I felt cleansed. And I felt like I'd just got released the weight of the world off my shoulders. And we ended up, um, you know, after that, that's when I started realising, you know what, that's the problem in the world. People don't talk, especially men. Men don't talk. You know, men were taught wrong, we're taught to man up. And that's what I realised. Oh, let's, you know, on the back of this, I think I'm going to start doing something for men. And we started doing men's mental health walks. And the men's mental health walks, we were doing them on a Wednesday. Um, we'd do them in the, in the waterfront shop. And it was just anyone could come down. If you know you're struggling or you just need someone to talk to, come down, we do the free tea or coffee. And we'll just, we'll, we'll have them in the shop and we'll have a little chit chat. And then we just go out for a walk two miles along the waterfront. And, um, and it's great. And, you know, we've got, uh, we ended up dealing, we ended up getting lads coming down from Andy Man's group. Um, Andy Man's club and they, with lads who it's a similar sort of men's mental health thing, they come down, they joined in with us. So we have a WhatsApp group now with like, there's over 100 men on it. And and it's constantly pinging, you know, people are just, because you don't have people to talk to, but they're creating little groups. Let's go and have a game of football in the park. Let's have a game of cricket. Let's go for bowling. And you know people's stories and it's great for, you know, going out on walks with a random stranger you don't know. You're able to release and say things. And there's no judgment there and you've got no relationship with someone who you're going for a walk with a stranger and you can talk about anything you want. And um, that, was a, that was a great way. Um, for me as well, I got a lot out of it myself, you know, and a lot of people as well. You've some of the stories are incredible, and they, you know, once they were doing them, it was like I feel so good. But and they need this as well. And they, with the lads, they were able to do. They do separate days now. They do extra days there together, like four, four, about four days a week now, that the lads do stuff between themselves as well. And that was all created on the back of the men's mental health walks. Um, and going off that as well, um, we created something for women as well because obviously women go through something called the menopause, which I'm sure everyone's aware of, and which is only, you know, growing up, it was of the going through the change. You know, I remember, I remember, um, I remember being in the house with my mate, and my mate's mum was cracking up on him, and I said, "What's up with you? What's up with your mum, Nate?" And she said, oh, my dad said she's going through the change, and I'm like, "What's the change?" He went, "I don't know. I don't know what it is." And that was it, and that was just, and that's always stuck in my head. And then, obviously, we realise now what the menopause is, and it's, it's a serious, it's it's a serious thing that every woman goes through, um, some worse than others, a lot worse than others. So we were, um, we we linked up with a leading um, specialist in the city, Juanita, and she does um, women's menopause classes in our Walton Road shop on a Wednesday. Um, we're going to be starting them there, clothed then on the run through the summer. We're probably going to be starting them up later in the year again. Um, so and that's something you know, which is not. It's kind of a mental health thing as well for for women, and it's a you know, it's all women who come in and you know, they have the talks, and so we do something for you know for both both parties, for men and women. Uh, through the shop. You're, you're a very humble guy from my experience of, of coming in and out of the shop for a few years now. And I, I know you probably wouldn't take it, but it's incredible the amount of work that you do within the community and within the wider community in the region as well. You do incredible work, Anthony. You know, you are effectively, as you so rightly described yourself as, a community hub. 
one thing that always sticks in my mind about Fika is the is the positive quotes of the day that you do as well. Talk to me about where they come from. So the quotes of the day, um, I've always I've always liked quotes of I have done for a long time, um, and it actually come about by accident doing them for the shop. To be fair, and it was you know you know when we had we had to board the a boards outside the shop, and for the first month or two, I used to write the daily specials on the board, meatballs and Swedish meatballs and mash and gravy or soup of the day or whatever speciality drink we've got on offer, and that's all it was. And this one day, I remember just sitting there and, and watching people go past the shop and everyone looks miserable and doom and gloom. And, and I was thinking, oh, do you know what? I'm going to write something funny, quirky on the board here just to see if I can make people smile. And I always remember the very first board I done was buy one coffee for the price of two and get a second cup of coffee absolutely free. And that was that. And I put it out. And you're watching people and they're standing there and they're looking at it. Then they're walking back and they're looking at it again and you see them smiling and laughing. And then some people coming in and they're like, your coffee board's wrong there, you know, that's misleading. But then a lot of people obviously got onto it and they were laughing and then I posted on social media and people were just thinking it was a, it was amazing and fantastic. Um, and then, you know, so I started off doing a bit of funny ones. And then once lockdown happened, um, I started doing some positive and, you know, pick-me-up quotes because obviously people needed to hear stuff. Um, so we put the quotes out um, through lockdown and they literally just started going viral. Everyone I was posting, I was getting friends in Australia who were seeing them on social networks in Australia, sending me saying, oh my God, this is your shop. Someone sent me this in Australia or I've seen it in an Australian page. So a lot of the boards were going, going crazy throughout lockdown and that just carried on. I get at least 50 to 100 messages a week of people who've read it and it's like, it's helping them said, look, I really needed that today, I can't believe, like, this is just me all over, this has helped me, this has picked me up and it's just gone from there and I've carried on with it, you know, we've got um, quotes everywhere now, we've got them on top of the, you know, the fridges and it's just, I love quotes and it's, you know, that's, it's all about picking you up and, you know, it's all about speaking and we have a board uh, on the wall and it's like, if you're worrying about something, take a thought from the board and this is a board that people can write their own thoughts of the day about down and they stick them on the board and people can come in take the take the sticker off the board and take it away and give it to a stranger and it might be just a little pick me up for someone else so it's like or just leave your worries on the board you know leave your problems behind come in the shop leave your problems on the board um and you know you've released them if you've got if you don't want to speak about it just write them down and you've you've offloaded them so, as I said, the quotes are just um, the big, big part of the shop now, a massive part. You know, I could be anywhere and it's, you know, well, what what you do? And it's like, oh, I've got a coffee shop. What's your coffee shop called? Fika. And I'm like, do you write down quotes? And I might have never, ever met this person before. I could be in a different part of this, you know, different part of the city completely. And so it's great that people are able to recognise the shop and recognise, you know, how uplifting these, these quotes are. The shop itself, for me, hasn't changed at all since I first came in here. But in some ways, it's changed completely because there's, it seems to me like it's an ever-evolving place. Is that how it feels to you? It is, yeah. It's, we're, we're trying to, you know, looking at the shop now from when we, we first moved in, it's, you're, you're right, nothing's changed. We're still trying to keep us a very Scandinavian theme in here. But, we're, you know, we're adding things and we're making it more of, like, a community space as well, we're, you know, welcoming and positive, happy. Um, so we're, we're constantly adding and changing things to make, you know, keeping keeping it fresh by 
being positive and I said just adding more stuff to it all the time. One of the first times I came in here, you took me into the into one of the back rooms where the kitchen is, and you showed me these, you know, where these amazing tiles were left over from from a cooperative society. It was here years ago, so the spirits actually almost feels as though it is within the walls of the shop itself. That's right, yeah. Um, that's amazing. You remember that actually? The wall. It's that's one of the um, the original features of the shop. As I said, it was the cooperative society that were here, and that was one of the things I really wanted to keep. And you know, I'm all about history as well, and keep trying to keep something traditional and saving a little bit of history if you can, because so many amazing buildings in the city are getting pulled down now, and they're gone forever. And you've got so many histories and stories behind the walls, and you know, so we just try and keep a little bit of um, a little bit of history there, and. You know, and that's always a it's always a talking point as well when people, customers go to the toilet. And it's like, oh my god, I remember this. So what's the tiles? They're amazing. They're great. So again, that can always generate a conversation with someone just through tiles on a wall. It's great. Let's look to the future. Talk to me a little bit about what you've been up to that's forward looking and how it might happen again. I, I think the festival is something that springs to mind. What happened there? Yeah, the FIFA Festival was something that I thought of doing again after lockdown. Everyone had been locked away, we've been isolated. It was a tough time mentally for everyone to be apart from the loved ones and the friends and the neighbours. And you're watching people creating stuff. People started getting new hobbies of maybe making cakes or knitting or, you know, making pots, whatever it may be. And I'm watching this, you know, people getting hobbies through lockdown. And then I thought, why don't we create something on the back of this, bringing the community together again? We'll have loads of musicians there who've been out of work for a long time, so we'll get all them performing on the stage. We'll get bouncy castles there. We'll get all these people, who've, all these makers who've created these new hobbies. Bring all the stuff you've made. We'll set up market stalls. We'll have, you know, display all your goods, sell your goods. Um, we'll have some food vendors there. And it's like... Bring the people together again. Let's get everyone back together again. And um, we we actually we had to we, we ticketed the event, the first one. We could we'd only have a thousand people at the event because we were still under slight lockdown restrictions um, and r- rules we were under. So we, we had a thousand tickets and the, the tickets sold out in, in one hour. It was just everyone wanted to come, and it was just it was amazing. Uh, the day was it was amazing. It was an unbelievable day. Um, such you know a great thing to bring people together, especially after such a you know horrible time that we all went through throughout, throughout the pandemic. And at the festival, it was a massive massive success. Um, and one thing that we wanted to do, um, well, one thing we were asked to do was do another one. And that we couldn't do one last year because obviously I was going through I went through a tough time with my mental health. But it was something that I was constantly asked to do. Do a, do a festival again. Do a festival that was so good. So we've just had one um, just last month that we were able to hold, a, hold a, another FICA festival. And this time it was a lot bigger and a lot better. We got a lot more people to able to get in this time because uh, there was no lockdown restrictions. So we had you know we had over 50 market stalls. We had loads of. And bear in mind it was all independents as well. Um, lots of market stalls, lots of food vendors, and you know. We had a little fair there. We had entertainment on. We managed to get uh, John Barnes and Jason McAteer came down from Liverpool Football Club, so they were able to meet them, and it was um, it was a good time to you know again, FICA concept is bringing people together. Uh, one thing, one thing uh, I managed to managed to tap into with the FICA festival, and this is something that 
happens all the time and it's not just to me i know this happens to any independent business a small business now i get asked at least 10 times a week can i donate a cake for charity can i donate can i sponsor the local football club can i do this for the community can i do this for the community and it's all like you know donating raffle prizes vouchers um sponsoring football teams cricket teams whatever it may be and all the time I get asked for it and, you know, I very rarely say no. But I always think to myself, why don't these people ever go to big companies who they shop from every day? The likes of Amazon and Apple and Coca-Cola. Big companies who've got money to burn. Yeah, they buy from them every day and they wouldn't necessarily, maybe not so much go to the smaller businesses. So it's like, I'm gone, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to a big company. I'm going to ask them to sponsor our small Fika Festival. So Vistaprint, who are a worldwide brand, one of the sponsors of Liverpool Football Club, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to a worldwide brand and I'm going to ask them. And I asked them, and they actually sponsored the event, which I was blown away with because, you know, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. And even though the event's, as, um, you know, it's, it's all small independent businesses, we've got a major franchise on board to uh, sponsor the events, um, which them itself are all about small businesses. So they were, you know, they were made up. I was super happy to support the events, the city itself, and um, the level of support they give for everyone was just unbelievable. Um, so I, that's one thing I'm just, I'm quite proud of I've done that because I'm hoping that I've broken down barriers that they were able to invest into our city, uh, whereas normally I'm all about the city, I'm all about keeping it in the city. It's like, I don't like seeing money go out the city, no matter what network it's through. I just don't like seeing money leave the city. But it's nice to have big companies investing back into this, investing into our city, and the money stays in our economy. So that's fantastic. Um, so I'm quite proud of myself with with that one. Um, but the festival itself, I said, it was a massive success. The bigger plan is I'd love to put it onto the mystery. Uh, we used to have an event down here called the Liverpool Show, and the Liverpool Show was massive, and it was a big community events festival um it was huge and i remember you know when i was coming to my late teens going to this for the first time and it was it was amazing and there was lots of dog shows on there the radio stations got involved uh there was helicopters the army were there the police it was just a fantastic day and i would love to bring that back i would love to do that for the city because it's a massive event it's like an event in the types of african oye on that scale it's huge and I'd love to do that for the city. So that is the bigger plan and something that I would love to put into place for next year. It's going to take a lot of planning, to be fair. But I would love to do a FICA festival on that scale and make that an annual event. And it'd be a free event as well. That's what it, that's what I want it to be, a free event. That would be something I would love to continue doing for the city. How can people keep up with what's happening? How can people keep up with all these fantastic community events that you're putting on? And you just, just follow what you're up to in the community as FICA. Well, you can follow us on social media. Fika Coffee Liverpool. If you search that on either Facebook or Instagram, um, you'd be able to find us on there. Or um, or Mr Tony Grace, you can find me on my one as well. That's on Twitter. As I said, we were on Walton Road, just by Mosford School. That's where we are located there, uh, towards Picton Clock. And also Liverpool Waterfront, uh, just, just over the road from the Baltic. Uh, we're based there in the Water Sports Centre. And how can people get involved with the walks that you do for, for mental health? If anyone wants to get involved in any, any of the walks that we do, contact us on social media, um, Fika Coffee Liverpool. 
and we can let you know times you know dates everything that you need to know and also the same with the menopause as well uh, we can um, inform you on the dates that they're going to be restarting as well Tony I can't thank you enough for giving me the time to do this and uh, and I just want to say again thanks so much for what you do in the community of Liverpool no you're welcome thanks very much for um, having me on it's, it's been an honour and I've loved it thank you very much and hope to see you again soon Great stuff from Anthony there and and good luck to him with expanding FICA because, and I must go, the, the one, I mean, I'm based in the Baltic Triangle, as you know, Mark, and I haven't been to the uh, to the coffee shop at the Liverpool Water Sports Centre on Mariners Roof, so I'll definitely go there. Um, it, it, honestly, mate, it's worth just dropping in any time you're passing any of those two shops. Uh, the thing about it is, is that it's such a friendly, welcoming environment and atmosphere. The cakes are amazing, the cinnamon buns especially are something that everybody should try and sample. Uh, but again, you know, it's the sort of place where you can go in and there's always something pinned on the wall or, or just happening around that, that would be of interest to you. I can promise you that. And do people talk to each other? Do strangers just walk up and start gabbing? Because it's great as a concept, but you wonder whether people would actually do that. Well, just to sort of fill it in a little bit more then. I mean, when I first walked into the shop, I struck up a conversation with Anthony straight away. And it was really, really simple. It was just, you know, hi, how are you? You know, what, what are you up to today, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just that sort of place. There's regulars and there's always someone sitting doing something or chatting about something. There's a constant flow in and out of the shops at every stage of the day. It's, there's always something happening. And people aren't looking at the phones all the time like they are in Costa or Starbucks, you know. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You... You go into most coffee shops and you might find two or three people around the table and they're all looking at the bloody phones. Absolutely. I mean, in the story there, you heard Anthony mention the mystery. Now, the mystery, to those that don't know, is, is just a, a park in Wavertree. And, and that's what that mystery reference was. But I don't, do you ever, did you ever go to the mystery, oh, Nick? Yeah, I used to live around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the mystery well. So he's actually trying to get that concept back again where there's this all consuming local event which pulls in lots and lots of different eclectic things people uh, you know attractions and, and I think that would be a real boom for the city to have these little satellite events happening all over the place that are run by the community effectively for the community yeah yeah um, and it, it's I love the idea that someone goes to Sweden or whatever country and brings an idea back and then tweaks it to the local culture you can't beat that kind of thing can you well, it's, it's, just, it's just so perfect for Liverpool, I think. You know, the people here are friendly, they're approachable, they're, they're, they're humorous, they, 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 they really are interested in looking after their own as well, which is something, I think, that, that, that really fits well with the whole concept behind FICA. Anyway, tell us a little bit about our sponsors, Mick. Yes, our sponsors, our partners are Baltic Creative CIC, and they support the digital and creative sector in the Baltic Triangle business area. And if you want to find out a little bit more about them, then go to their website. It's baltic-creative.com. And if you've got any uh, ideas for people that we might want to interview, um, whether it's in the Baltic area or beyond anywhere on Merseyside, then you know what to do. Just email us. The address is info at BalticTrianglePodcast.com and do keep an eye out for all of the different events that FICA are organising across the region. Uh, you can catch up with them across all their usual social media platforms that they've already announced. So, Mick, that's just about it for us, isn't it? Yeah, so a big thank you to Nicola Chan and to Anthony Grice for joining us in the Baltic Triangle Podcast this month and we'll see you soon. Big thank you to you as well for listening. Take care. All the best. <laughs> <laughs>